scripture reading today is from Daniel 6, verses 1 to 7. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find no they could find no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators, the satraps, the counsellors and advisers have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Good morning, happy Sabbath. It's a real joy and honor to be with you, to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I thank Kate for reading the scripture, and uh, that was beautiful. My, thank you for your wonderful singing, using your gifts to, uh, to glorify God. Our study this morning is a reflection on uh, the book of Daniel, the lions in Daniel's den. Mum and her four-year-old daughter were heading off. Mum was going to drop her daughter off at preschool, getting into the day. Her daughter was in the co-driver's seat, had a seatbelt on strapped, and her little bag was there ready for an exciting day with her friends. Mum, of course, was a medical doctor, and uh, she had her chance left her stethoscope in the side door. So as they're heading off to work, listening to the radio, navigating traffic, the four-year-old picks up mum's stethoscope. And mum has this wonderful thought, my, is my daughter going to become a doctor? And mum just kind of smiles and kind of just basks in this thought of the possibility of her daughter becoming a doctor. And then the four-year-old puts the stethoscope to her mouth. Welcome to McDonald's, can I take your order? (laughs) The German theologian Karl Barth suggested that the closest thing to the grace of God is laughter. A well-known story the story of Daniel in his sojourn in this incredible book that's dear to our hearts as a people. For in this book we find not just insight into the, the Christian life, but we find insight into the prophetic timetable that God has for our planet. Daniel has survived and thrived under three governments. By the time we get to uh, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is in his 80s. And this 
octogenarian has stayed connected with God. God has been his source of hope and comfort and strength. As a young man, Daniel 1.8 said he resolved, he, he purposed, he, he chose. And that resolution as a young 16 or 17-year-old, in fact, stayed with Daniel through the highs and lows of different governments, different monarchs, different leaders. That resolution and that purpose deep in his heart that God would be first and last and best in his life grew, in fact, ever stronger as Daniel stayed connected with his God. The den that we'll come across as we continue through this morning's message was a form of capital punishment. For the Babylonians, it was a furnace. For the Jews, it was stoning. It was crucifixion for the Romans. But for, for the Medes and the Persians, it was this den of lions. Daniel finds himself at the end of his life and even at the end of his life, God is still caring for him, providing for him and sustaining him. God does so in all the seasons of our lives. As a young man, God demonstrates his faithfulness in Daniel's life. And through the sojourn of his experiences, God is constantly there. I think back of my own experience starting work as a, as a pastor in South Africa. I think of my years prior to being a pastor, working, uh, studying, pardon me, at Haldeberg College in Cape Town, South Africa. I think of the many times where I needed to work to uh, pay for my studies at Haldeberg, and on occasion, God would just provide me with incredible holiday jobs. I'd earn lots of money when I can go back and pay off my fees. I think of the time my wife and I just started our ministry in, in Peter Maritzburg and how God provided and led and guided in so many beautiful ways. I think of the partnership I began back then with Jeff Yulden. He came over, ran an evangelistic campaign. I worked with him. I learned the ropes of what it was like to be an evangelist. And through our journey, the highs and the lows and those moments of, of critical need, I, together with my wife, just saw God's hand. As I look over the congregation this morning, I know that there are incredible stories of, of faith and trust and conviction from you. Because as you sit and you listen to God's word this morning, you can recount the innumerable instances where you have seen God's hand where you know this is nothing but God. And this was true now for Daniel's life. At this, the latter part of his sojourn, God was still faithful. As he's been to you, as he's been to me, God provides for us in every season of our lives. Just this week, my wife and I had a need. And we prayed and we called on God to help and rescue us. And just this week, my wife and I saw God's hand in meeting a need in our lives. 
No wonder Paul says in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all of your needs, not out of, because they are inexhaustible, but according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This was the experience of Daniel. And here in chapter 6, the leaders of that day scheme and plot against Daniel. The Bible says he has an excellent spirit within him. You go back to Daniel 5, the same Hebrew word is used there, the spirit of the gods. Go back to Daniel 3, the same word is used there, the spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has been journeying with Daniel, and it, it's the Holy Spirit so beautifully present in Daniel's life. And so these scheming political leaders don't want Daniel's authority because of his holiness. They want to have leading positions of influence so they can continue obviously manipulating and conniving and plotting and scheming for their own agenda. Daniel's agenda will be one of holiness and godliness. Why? The Holy Spirit lives within him. And so these men cannot tolerate or put up with that. And so they scheme and talk to the king because they find that Daniel continues in this regard. He remains faithful to the law of his God. So notice the devil's last temptation to turn Daniel's faithfulness against him. Two laws in conflict in Daniel 6, the law of the Medes and Persians and the law of God. It's interesting, in the context of the book of Daniel, the law and the test of our resolution to keep the law emerges in what we might think as very, you know, inconsequential ways. Daniel 1, it's about food. Daniel 3, it's a bit more serious. It's about worshiping an idol. But Daniel 6, it's about prayer. So in Daniel 1 and Daniel 6, it's, the law is, is, is there, but our desire to keep the law seems to be of no significance. Food and prayer. Just this week, I was reading a book uh, by a leading scholar, Scott McKnight. And in the book, he uh, was talking about the Sabbath. And I like to check out the footnotes, you know. And so I thought I'd check out the footnotes, and I found that McKnight, who's the leading evangelical scholar, was kind of ambivalent on the law and the Sabbath. A friend said to me, hey, Cale, have you got your, uh, have you got your, uh, your Logos Bible app? I said, are you serious? Because I've got Logos on my computer. Have you got your Logos Bible app? I said, duh, I haven't. So I got onto the Apple store downloaded the uh, Logos Bible app. Let me check it out. And so I'm doing a bit of scrolling. 
one of the things that jumps out on my new Logos Bible app is leading evangelical scholars that promote, you know, certain facets of their research. Oh, let me look out, let me check out this Old Testament scholar. Click, and I listen on my, on my Logos app, and this Old Testament scholar is talking about the Sabbath. And, and a female Old Testament scholar, by the way, and she talks about the Sabbath in the context of creation and redemption, central to God's character. I'm like, my, this is good. And then as she continues, she says, I Sabbath on Sunday. I Sabbath on Sunday. And she continues waxing eloquent about the Sabbath, some really good stuff there. And then she says, I Sabbath on Sunday. I Sabbath on Sunday. You know, as you look at the context of Daniel, the law is front and center, but the keeping of the law seems to be of no significance, food and prayer. You look at the context of Genesis chapter, one, uh, Genesis chapter 3, pardon me, and the very first test that God gives to Adam and Eve again seems to be of no consequence. And as I read the evangelical literature in relation to God's law and the desire to keep the commandments of God, it is about trivializing the Sabbath. It's about seeing the importance of God's law, but recognizing that the Sabbath somehow is not integral to that law. We live, in a, we live in a day, we live in an age where God's law in its entirety is no longer revalued and respected as a transcript of God's character and a revelation of who God is. And it will be in this liquid culture in which we live, a culture that is fast moving and continually changing, where it would appear to larger society that that one aspect of law which focuses on time is of no significance and is rather of no consequence. So for me, that's the way in which the law is brought to the fore in the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, as he was as a 16, 17-year-old, he continues on as an 80, 85-year-old. He will not compromise. My daughter had her formal this week. Big moment in our family history. <laughs> she had a year 12 formal, and there was lots of excitement with mom and daughter for, you know, a couple of weeks. Finally, the day arrived. Beautiful evening out in the, out, uh, the Hunter Valley as we took uh, lots of snaps. And then we were heading, heading back, and I noticed a big ad, big ad, McDonald's. Now, please, I'm not taking, you know, the Mickey out of McDonald's this morning. 30 days, 30 meals. My, oh, my. 30 days, 30 meals. Daniel's test is 30 days without God. 30 days of not talking to God as he had always spoken to God. Come on, Daniel, you can talk to God in your heart. Yeah, come on, Daniel, you can you know, keep the windows closed when you pray. 
I mean, Daniel, you know, you've always been talking with God. I mean, you can just read Jeremiah, you know, you can read some of the other scrolls and kind of feel connected with God. Must you continue your same practice of, of praying to God as you open your windows, as you pray toward Jerusalem in the light of this law and the threat of death? Daniel will not compromise. He will not compromise in the slightest because he cannot survive without God. He cannot live a day without God. He cannot live an hour without God. He cannot live a minute without God. So Daniel will continue the practice of three times a day. He got down on his knees giving thanks to God just as he had done before. This morning, prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of help. Prayer this morning is learned helplessness. The gospel is power for the helpless. Norman Rockwell beautifully captures in his 1951 picture in Post magazine the hustle and bustle of New York City. Outside is a steel yard. The, the restaurant is crowded with, with people and activity and commotion. It's full of smoke. And Rockwell paints. Grandma and a son closing their eyes to pray. And it's as if, it's as if in that moment as, as the gentleman there would, you know, look on, it's as if in that moment that the presence of God comes into this crowded hustling, bustling New York cafe as grandma and her son pray to the God of heaven. Listen, pray. Pray as you drive. Pray as you, as you rest. Pray as you hit that golf ball. Pray as you go for your walk. Pray as you watch TV. Pray as you relax with your family. Pray as you read that book. Pray as you walk to church. Pray as you hang out with your friends. Pray as you put a post up on Facebook. Whatever it is you do, keep on praying. Because when we pray, the Spirit of God comes. And that was the experience for Daniel. He continued on just as he had before. He continued praying. Notice that Daniel thanked God. 
Psalm 69, 30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving and installing with music and song. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. R.T. taught uh, and, and preached at Westminster Chapel uh, after Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I must confess that R.T., uh, how he's affectionately known, has taught me a lot about the doctrine of gratitude. I try to teach my students to read as widely as possible, grounded in Scripture, grounded in good adventist thinking, good adventist theology, but read widely. And R.T. has taught me a lot about the doctrine of gratitude, showing that one values the kindness of God in saving us. So Daniel's prayer was, was full of thankfulness. You see, the power of prayer is connected to your level of conviction. Daniel thanked God for what did not yet exist. He had read the prophecies of Jeremiah. He understood the situation, the precarious situation that Israel found itself in, and yet Daniel thanked God for what did not yet exist. The reestablishment of the temple and his beloved Jerusalem. Jesus has got five loaves and two fish. Father, I thank you for what you can stands outside the grave of Lazarus. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do. You see, prayer expects that God will step in. Thankfulness anticipates the answer. Thankfulness knows the answer is on its way. So Daniel 6, 13, 14. Daniel 6, 13, 14. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to your king or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Who is your Darius this morning? Who sees God at work in your heart, at work in your life, and they are willing to stand up for you who is your Darius this morning? Who is willing as they see God in your heart, in your life, they are willing to stand up for you. This was the kind of person that Daniel was. Well, 
the law of the, Me the, law of the Medes and Persians cannot be altered. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And so Daniel is, is, is cast into that lion's den. I want you to notice that it's Daniel's character that causes Darius to see God's character. May the God that you serve continually. The strength of your faith is determined by the size of your God. The king acknowledges that Daniel's God can do what he cannot do, and that save Daniel. Before I get to that point, I want to pause, and it's this. I want to look at the context very quickly of Daniel. And you may disagree with me, and I'm very comfortable in my own skin. That's quite fine. But as you look at the moments of intervention in the book of Daniel, the moments of intervention come in this way. Daniel chapter 3, it is a son of God that joins them in the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 5, it is, it is God sends a human hand to write the doom of Balthazar in Daniel 5. In Daniel 7, it is, it is one like the Son of Man who intervenes when these beastly powers attempt to destroy God's people. In Daniel 10, it is Mikael, one who, who, who was like God, who intervenes after Daniel's being praying for three weeks and tells Daniel that God heard his prayer in day one. I put it to you this morning that it is in fact Jesus. It is Jesus who intervenes in these critical moments in the book of Daniel. Now, with that broader context in mind, my preacher's imagination goes to the unfolding of Daniel 6. And in Daniel 6, as the angels recognize that this is it now, Daniel is going to be thrown into the lion's den. I imagine there might have been a, a flurry of activity. And the angels want to go down and rescue Daniel. But before any of the angels could, Jesus does. Jesus goes down to earth, goes down to the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And before Daniel hits the bottom, Jesus is there and Jesus shuts the mouths of the lions. So guess what? 
Darius cannot sleep in his palace while Daniel is at peace with the lions. Here's a picture of, da of Daniel. If you like him bald, or perhaps with lots of hair. But there's Daniel. I imagine that he, he picks up, a, you know, or perhaps he's got in his pocket a, the scroll of Jeremiah. And then he just reads between the lions. As he relaxes. As he relaxes amongst the lions. In the company, in the company of Jesus. In the company of Jesus. You see, lions this morning move collectively. Lions this morning move with what's called a pride of lions. And with the pride of lions, there's always the alpha. If he sleeps, the pride sleeps. He hunts, the pride hunts. He goes for a walk, the pride goes for a walk. I put it to you this morning that the lion of the tribe of Judah came by the den and silenced those lions. So they listened. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah was now in their company, as was his servant Daniel. When you're in the center of God's will, you can be at peace. When you're in the center of God's plan for your life, you can be at peace. Though the storms rage, though the winds toss, you can be at peace. And Daniel was at peace because Jesus was with him. Well, early the next morning, the king gets to that tomb as quick as he could. Asked out after Daniel, and Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. Now remember, it says his angel. I'm going by the wider context of Daniel, number one. Number two, the angel of the Lord is often a symbolic representation of Jesus in his pre-incarnate ministry in the Old Testament. My God sent his angel, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong. Before you, your majesty, prayer can turn the place of your enemy into the place of your victory. Prayer can turn the place of your supposed defeat into the place of your resurrection. This morning, our God delivers. Daniel 1, he delivers Jerusalem and then delivers the remnant. Daniel 2 delivers a dream to a heathen king and the interpretation to a 
young Jewish lad, Daniel 3, delivers from the fiery furnace. Daniel 4, delivers from pride and ambition. Daniel 5, delivers into judgment, which is salvation. Daniel 6, delivers from the den. Daniel 7, delivers from judgment. Daniel 8, delivers from his enemies. Daniel 9, delivers his son into that judgment. Daniel 12, he delivers even from death. Your God delivers. My God delivers. The corrupt government official sought to use the law to bring about Daniel's demise. They abused the irreversible law of the Medes and the Persians to bring Daniel under condemnation. No one, they thought, including the king, could rescue Daniel from the law and its condemnation. But what the king could not do, God did. What the king could not do, God did. Not by keeping Daniel from death or by casting the law of the Medes and Persians aside. Daniel was condemned according to that law, according to the law of the Medes and Persians. He paid the penalty for that law. But listen, God delivered Daniel. His deliverance, in fact, set Daniel free. And right here, right here in Daniel 6, we see the gospel. Right here in Daniel 6, we see the gospel. And it begins to open up our minds even when Jesus walked with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and he opened up the Bible and he said to them, all the law and all the prophets speak about me. And right here in Daniel 6, we see the gospel. Daniel exiled to Babylon. Jesus exiled to earth. Daniel, corrupt leaders conspire against him. Corrupt leaders conspire against Jesus. Daniel is under the law of the Medes and Persians. Jesus born under the law born of a woman because God cannot violate his own person. So his law remains intact. But Jesus comes under that law after thousands of years of iniquity. He comes under that law. And he lives what you and I could never live, and that is a perfect life. morning if there were a hundred Kale Duvals, whoo, that's frightening. If there were a thousand Kale Duvals, if there were a million, none of them could be perfect. None of them could be perfect. None of them. But there's one man, one man, the God-man, the God-man who lived a perfect life, never taught sin, never thought sin, never wrought sin, 
unblemished by the taint of sin, untarnished by the finger of sin. Life original, unborrowed, underived, perfect, holy, sinless, perfect life under the law. And when you accept him by faith, his life is yours. Somebody's got to say amen. amen. Come on now. Somebody's got to say amen. amen. <laughs> his life is yours. His life is yours. Cast into a den. Cast into a tomb. Delivered from death, Jesus delivered from death. Brought out of the den, Jesus resurrected to new life. You see, this morning, the early Christians understood that Daniel coming up out of the den pointed to Jesus coming up out of the grave. They saw in the experience of Daniel, they saw Jesus. A foretaste of what Jesus himself would accomplish. Conquer death and deliver from that ultimate foe. Our God delivers. This morning as we head to the finish line, Jesus is still in the lion-taming business this morning. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, at my preliminary hearing, no one stood by me. They all ran like scared rabbits, but it doesn't matter. The master stood by me and helped me spread the message loud and clear to those who never heard of it. Paul says, I was snatched from the jaws of the lion. God's looking after me, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him, praise forever. Oh, yes, listen, this morning, Jesus is still in the lion taming business. I don't know what lions are trying to encircle your heart and captivate your mind. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he can deliver. He can rescue, and he can set you free. Is the lion encircling? Let's take a moment and let's have a, a season of prayer right now. I want you to put your hand up. Is there a lion in your life? A lion perhaps in the life of your extended family of relational breakdown, of finance, of sickness, of debt, of finance, of worry, of anxiety. What lion is seeking to devour your heart or your life? Put your hand up if you're in that experience this morning. Something in your heart, something in your life, something in your experience. Keep your hand up. Our precious and loving Father in heaven, what a joy to be in your holy presence this morning, listening to your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the revelation of yourself in your word. And we thank you, Jesus, for the kind of God 
that you are. We worship you, Jesus, for the kind of God that you are. We glorify you, Jesus, for the kind of God that you are. Our hands are lifted toward heaven this morning, weak, puny hands are lifted toward heaven, Father. In the name of Jesus, defeat the roaring lion who might be trying to devour us. Whatever it might be, we thank you, Jesus, for Calvary, that this roaring lion is now toothless, clawless, weak, and impotent, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has gained our victory. And I pray now you'll come, Father. Come by every person who's lifted their hand toward heaven as you came for Daniel. Come now. Move upon our hearts, our circumstance, our situation. And in the midst of your moving, in the midst of your working, Give us your peace. Give us your peace. Give us your peace. Bless now, I pray, in a very intimate and beautiful way, each hand raised. We thank you in advance. We praise you in advance for what you're going to do. In the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.